Hello out there, all you warm bodies, you Resident Evils, you Days of the Dead. You're listening to The Shuddering, a film podcast covering vintage and modern horror cinema as served up by our favorite streaming service, Shudder. My name is Nick Rocco Scalia, one of your two co-hosts, joined as always by your other co-host, Chris Oliphant. And tonight on the show, we're talking about two zombie movies that may not exactly be zombie movies. (laughs) That is a fair statement for sure. Really kind of depends on your definition of what a zombie is. Yeah, I mean... But I do think that they would fit in that category. Like, if you were making a, a, a list, like, you know, both of these films are certainly on must-watch zombie lists or plague lists, things of that nature. But I know what you mean. Yeah, so we're talking about tonight 2021's The Sadness and 1993's Return of the Living Dead 3. And both of these movies, yeah, I've seen them come up on lists before of zombie movies or apocalypse movies you need to see. But they both have certain qualities about them and about what the threat actually is in them that do they fall into the very sort of rigid definition of zombies the way we understood it from George Romero. Not exactly, although, Chris, watching both of these movies back-to-back was pretty fascinating for me because they both really owe a lot to George Romero and and specifically to his Of the Dead series. Of course. they're Mm -hmm. very, very different films from one another, and yet they both are so, so heavily inspired by that same series. You feel that way too, I assume. Oh, yeah, without question. I mean... They're entirely different films. This would this would make quite the uh, double feature, <laughs> actually. But yeah, it, it's it's interesting to see how you know Romero's work has influenced. I mean, the zombie genre has sort of become the the genre of our time. Obviously, with shows like Walking Dead and and things of that nature, and so many good films have come out of it. Um, both a lot of bad ones too. A lot of bad ones and some a little funny ones. Sure, yeah. We got funny ones, serious ones, the whole spectrum. So it's just amazing to see how much a movie like, you know, Night of the Living Dead has spawned upon cinema in as I consider that kind of the godfather of all zombie movies. Yeah, I mean that's definitely it and and Dawn of the Dead is uh, of course as well and that came oh, out yes. so much later. I mean you're talking about I think 10 years there, 68 and 78 I want to say. And it oh. was really after that one that you got kind of the rip-offs. Like I don't think anybody could really do it between 68 and 78 and then Romero came back and made another one and that was when, you know, the Italians went crazy with their zombie films, the Lucio Fulci stuff. We had a bunch of American ones. And then we had Return of the Living Dead, which was, we've talked a lot, you and I, about Dan O'Bannon, co-creator of Alien, yes. co-creator of Dark Star, which is becoming one of my favorite sort of cult movies of all time. That I talk about that one so much. And that was another franchise that the late, great Dan O'Bannon started. So we're going to be talking about the third movie in that series tonight. And The Sadness, which is one that I remember just seeing just the, the promotional material for it was like, this is the most depraved zombie movie ever made. And I was like, we'll see about that. And finally, <laughs> I actually got to see it. And we will both weigh in on whether we think it is the most depraved zombie movie ever made. All we're talking about now, all we're debating right now is whether it's actually a zombie movie. And we'll have to discuss that also. But yeah, you're right. Uh, Walking Dead, The Last of Us Now is kind of sort of a zombie show, although I read something the other day that said on the set of that HBO show, they are not allowed to use the word zombie because the creatures on that show are infected, but they are not sort of the traditional definition of what a zombie is. And, And the ones in both of these movies are not as well. Have you seen Last of Us yet, Chris? 
I have not, but I have a friend who will not shut up about it. He's like so <laughs> aggressively campaigning to get me to watch it. I think you would like it. I absolutely think you would like it. And I'm sure you have not played the game. Uh, it's very similar story-wise. I mean, I think they're going to branch out eventually, but it's it's really telling a very similar story to the video game, which I played not too long ago, actually. I played the remastered version for the PS4, and it was one of the greatest video game stories I think I'd ever experienced. And the show is doing a pretty good job of capturing that. But if you do like, you know, Apocalypse, zombie type stuff even though they're not actually zombies Chris I think you'll like that show a lot yeah my friend is also a gamer who has played the game and he that's another reason why he's digging it so much is because of the accuracy to the game so um, but I know there's a lot of people that haven't played the game that can still enjoy it and I'm fine with that yeah, I mean, I, it's. I kind of wish I hadn't played the game because I know what some of the emotional beats are, and I I know how they affected me the first time. And then I see a character, and I'm like, oh, I know what's going to happen to that person, and it makes me pretty yeah, sad. Yeah, I, I kind of want to wait until there's a couple seasons of it out so that I can just kind of binge it, you know, um, instead of having to wait for the new episodes and things of like that. That's my excuse for now, as I have the infinity list of film of other things to watch so <laughs> well i have one too but i did make time for this especially because i like the game a lot so i thought if it's even a decent adaptation and i think it's actually more than a decent adaptation but uh we've got some some similar content to that to talk about tonight although also some stuff that really is not much like that and i think that's going to be pretty interesting but as always let's talk about what we've seen recently you and i have both watched some horror movies we we occasionally get to do that well you do that all all the time. I occasionally do that outside the bounds of the show. I feel like all I watch is horror anymore because that's all I have time for. So two <laughs> movies every couple weeks for this show. And then if I have time for one or two more, they usually just end up being horror movies anyway. And I love all movies, but I don't know. I guess it's just easy. I think Shudder makes it really easy for me, right? Like rather than browse through every genre of everything on like HBO Max or something like that, I'm like, I know there's something I want to see on Shudder and Usually yeah. that that's a pretty good decision, but uh, what have you been checking out lately? I know one of them. Well, yeah, I mean, I wanted to mention that I, over the course of the last week or so, was chipping away at the documentary In Search of Darkness Part 3, uh, the wonderful documentary uh, covering horror cinema from the 80s. And what I've discovered about this that's interesting is, like, when you watch the first In Search of Darkness, it covers... You know, they and I love how they do it. Like it's 1980, and they'll talk about half a dozen movies, and then 1981, never really spending more than four or five minutes on each film. And you know, when you watch that first volume, at least for me anyway, I'm like, yeah, I've I've at least heard of most of these. And then when you get to part two, you can tell that they go a little bit more underground with the films that they're discussing. Dude, by the time they get to this third volume, I have ashamed to say that many, many of these films I have never even heard of before. So it's like, okay, here's another hundred movies I, I would like to watch. But I added a few of them to a list and I saw this wonderful movie, Nick, that I would love for you to see sometime. And they were, it's funny because they were talking about uh, the great 1987 movie Predator with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, one of my all-time favorites, and apparently there was a film that came out in 1980 called Without Warning, and that film was a huge influence on the Predator movie. Nick, have you heard of Without Warning? I have heard of it. I haven't seen it, but I, I do know there's a somewhat of a connection there, and I know you're a huge Predator head, so I, I mean, have you seen it? You actually yes. did watch it? Okay. And how I does it did. stack up to the the classic 
<laughs> Predator's a better movie, but I, <laughs> I, I mean, this has so much cool, like, 1980s-ness to it because it's like, I mean, first of all, it's starring Jack Palance, which is awesome. Oscar winner, and, uh, Jack Palance. Yeah, and uh, Martin Landau is in it. Uh, so, you know, a couple names that people know. But um, you can definitely see that one of the weird factoids about this, too, is that the dude, and I'm sorry, I can't think of his name right now, but the guy who plays the Predator in Predator also played the alien in Without Warning. Oh, wow. Okay. That's a little strange crossover factoid there, but uh, it is basically just, a, I mean, it's it's really kind of a uh, a plot we've seen before. Just about a bunch of teenagers that go out camping and then, you know, they encounter these aliens and... I just found it charming, and it was interesting because, like, Arnold Schwarzenegger himself, like, cited the movie in an interview, I guess, and he's like, oh, you have no idea how much comes from the concept of the Predator being um, a hunter and hunting for sport and collecting trophies and even some of the uh, the weaponry. Like, he, like this, this alien throws around these, like, flying flesh discs that, like, <laughs> attach to you and suck all your blood out and stuff, and the, the effects are really cheesy, but... Being that it was on In Search of Darkness 3, and I'm guessing that many people haven't heard of this, I'm going to go ahead and recommend, uh, without warning, if you are a, f- a fan of the Predator movie, I think you'll see just a little minuscule, you know, detail, some, some minuscule detail, and also like some major, major plot mechanisms that you can tell were an influence. So. If you haven't seen Without Warning, you can check it out. I think, I believe I rented it on Prime or something for just a couple of bucks or maybe Voodoo. Uh, but that was cool. And it's always fun to see Jack Palance just, you know, chewing up the scenery, smoking cigars, and it's hilarious. Yeah, I don't remember why, but the other day, something pointed me toward the clip of him at the Oscars when he won the Oscar for, <laughs> I think it was City Slickers, like back in the yeah. 90s. I think it was in like 92. And yeah. uh, he goes on stage and like starts doing push-ups. He's like, hey, I'm old, but look how fit I am. And some people thought that was very entertaining. Some people were kind of pissed at him for taking that moment and, and doing that with it. But yeah, he was a pretty cool guy and actually did a lot of genre cinema, right? Like he kind of had a comeback in the 90s when he made City Slickers and had that supporting role that he won the Oscar for. But, you know, he was like a Westerns guy. He was in a lot of low-budget, like, sci-fi and horror films. And a very interesting actor. One of those people that, if I see him in a movie, it may not be a good movie, but I know that he's going to liven it up in some sense. Yeah, it's it's really nice to see him there. And um... Chris, let me ask you one more Predator question. Okay. I, I really, really hated the, the most recent one, The Predator, from a couple of years ago, which um, written and directed by Shane Black, who is one of my favorite writer-directors, and he just, I don't know what he was thinking or what the studio was thinking. That movie's garbage. Tell me it's better than that. Tell me without warning is a better movie than that was. Well, I couldn't tell you, Nick, because I've never seen oh. The Predator. I have boycotted that movie Um stubbornly because of my love for the first one really the whole franchise I think Predators is a solid movie I've come to like Predator 2 a lot over the years and at, technically the most recent one was Prey Prey right uh, yeah. which came out last year which was a fantastic movie so I heard so many bad things about the Predator and I know I should give it its fair shake but people no. that know me personally no, were like yeah people were like dude just don't <laughs> watch it like yep. I've I've watched I've actually spent time watching YouTube reviewers like put together 
you know, they'll clip together scenes of the movie and just talk about how stupid it is. And all it took for me was to watch a couple of those. And I was like, yeah, I, I can't do this. Uh, I mean, you can't even fathom how stupid it is. Like, I, I actually saw one of those videos not too long ago, too. And I hadn't seen the movie in a while. And I was like, oh, man, it was that bad. Like, wow, it yep. really was. Anyway, I'm going to check out Without Warning. I love Predator 2. I think that's a really classic movie. I, I also love Predator 2. That's what I'm saying, man. Like, they're all pretty damn solid. I'm not a huge fan of the AVP stuff, but, you know, Prey was also a huge breath of fresh air because they just made a really, really tight movie. One of the biggest disappointments of last year for me uh, was that that movie did not get a theatrical release, which is just absolutely mind-blowing. But um, anyways, moving out of the Predator-verse, Nick, I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't want to waste too much time on this because you brought it up on the last show and everything, but I did want to... Uh, stand by my word, and I added it to my list. And just a couple nights ago, I watched Skinnamarink, uh, the the highly divisive new horror film that is out. And um, you know, I gotta say, man, I I don't know. I really wanted to like this so much more. And usually, your recommendations are pretty on point. I know you were kind of like, "Would you watch this?" After I told you about it, I'm like, "Yeah, I'll watch pretty much anything." Except the Predator, apparently. Um, but, man, this movie did not connect with me, dude. It, I, I mean, we had talked, you know, just through text, like, about how I was like, you know, there are things about the movie that I appreciate. Like, I like the really unusual atmosphere that it creates, the kind of different dreamlike reality that the world takes place in. You know, you had mentioned a lot about how it's crazy because you, like, never see any of the characters' faces and... You know, a lot of the the music in the film, practically all the music in the film is just, you know, this old, old cartoons playing in the background, um, which I, you know, I thought was interesting as well. But, dude, it was really boring. It's one of the most <laughs> boring movies I've ever seen. I mean, it, I mean, it's like it's like the call was this shoot that, you know, doorway and hold then hold the camera there for 25 seconds and then cut to the carpet with some Legos on it and hold it there for 25 seconds. And I kept watching, like trying to see something that was going to happen. And it just never, it just never did. So um, again, I will say I appreciate the effort. I appreciate its uniqueness. I understand why I read all sorts of stuff about it, how, uh, you know, everyone has a different psychology, right? You know, and like this movie really fucked with some people. Like there were people that were like, oh, the last 30 minutes was the most, my heart has never raced faster. And I'm watching it going, really? I'm like, <laughs> I just, I don't know. There was that one scene that we talked about though, that I will admit um, it sent a shock through my body that lasted like 10 seconds long. And I, and I enjoyed it. I got to sat there and kind of, you know, uh, revel in that, but yeah, it's kind of a jump scare where you're not at all expecting a jump scare. And, and what it is, like, if you think about what it is, like, why did that scare me so much? But yeah, I, I think, I mean, that was that was like my third favorite moment in the movie. There were two others that really got to me. Well, but but uh, you're not wrong. I mean, everything that you've said about it, like, I can't argue with you. You're absolutely right. I mean, it, there are a lot of very static shots. We never see the characters. As I said, you probably didn't believe me when I said that. You were like, how could they make a whole hour and 40 minute movie like that? And then you're watching it like, crap, he was right. But um, it, it did. The cumulative effect of it, as I said, really worked for me. But I can totally understand why you and, and a lot of others didn't feel Dude, it. Dude, I dig slow burns 
all all day too. Like I don't mind movies that don't do much at all for the first hour, hour ten. But you have to reward the viewer. Like you have to deliver. And I just kept waiting for that. I was like, um, someone described it on Shutter as having cinematic blue balls, which I thought was really funny, <laughs> uh, because because they just like were expecting this, you know. Um, a climax to occur, something that is, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, I couldn't think of a, of a better uh, reference. <laughs> no, but that was perfect. Some, so, some, of, some of the reviews, uh, you know, you can clearly see people are like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen or the worst. And that's pretty much where everybody sits on it. That's fair. I mean, it doesn't have a climax. It doesn't really have a beginning or a middle either. If you well, really it's, and that's the thing it. is, I see, I made the mistake of pausing it too, um, oh. like halfway through. And I was like, oh my God, how is there 50 minutes left? I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Um, but anyways, well, it, I, I, it was oh, weird. Ahead. Sorry. I just, you made me think of this, like sitting in a theater, I had no idea how much time had passed. And I was like, I'm not going to look. And so you're in this weird sort of limbo yeah. state where it's like, maybe I just saw an hour of this. Maybe it's only been 50. 15 minutes, I have no idea. So that kind of added to the the surreal and just kind of uncanny feeling of it. So maybe that's what you need to do. Those who are still thinking about maybe checking it out is turn all the clocks off, turn all the lights off kind of thing. But again, I, you know, if you want my full thoughts on it, our last episode is where you can hear those. But I don't think you're wrong, Chris. I mean, I, I liked it a lot more than you did, but I, I really, I understand where you're coming from. And I think I, I understand anybody who feels that way about it. And I'm glad you at least gave it a shot. Like I said, I'll give most anything a shot. And um, I do just want to sneak in there in 60 seconds. I did go to the movies since I last saw you, and I saw the movie Missing. And I just wanted to point out for anyone out there who's f- familiar with the movie Searching, uh, the great 2018 thriller film. Nick, have you ever seen Searching? I have not seen either of those. Oh, my God. Searching is such a brilliant movie. It was directed by some guy who used to work for Google, and literally the entire movie is played through computer screen. Uh, I don't even know how they did it. It's insane. So Missing is related in the fact that the director was the writer of this one. And it's crazy to see how much technology has changed just since 2018. Like Missing is everything that Searching is just ratcheted up like so hard. I mean, if you want to get an education on how to use the Internet, these are the movies you watch. <laughs> but I can't recommend them highly enough. They're just so clever and so well written. And I know Missing's doing pretty well. Um, searching was a huge hit. So, uh, those are movies that while they're not horror movies, um, they are def- well, actually missing kind of goes into that, the horror territory a little bit more than searching, but, uh, go and check that out. If you're into complicated thrillers that have like tons of story turns and are completely unpredictable. And again, the entire films take place on either computer screen or phone screen. It never exits out of that. And the reason why I thought of bringing that up is because unlike Skinamarink, where, you know, it's kind of in its own world of we're just there. I mean, movies like Searching and Missing are are incomparably more entertaining. Than, I mean, it's just, I don't know. Um, check out Missing, and if you haven't, check out Searching as well. All right, yeah, I will get around to both of those. Well, I saw a recent film that was kind of buzzed about in the horror community, and it kind of mm. disappointed me. I was... 
very into it for a while. I'm talking about the movie Smile from last year, which had one of the greatest trailers I've ever seen. Ooh. It had just like such great moments in that trailer. And I thought the, the first half hour, maybe 40 minutes, maybe even the first half of that movie was really, really effective. Um, great camera work. A lot of these shots of, you know, these like Kubrick, like head on shots where people are in the center of the frame looking directly into the camera. And I was like, what a cool style for something like this. And the opening scene is just dynamite. It's terrifying. It's shocking. Oh, yeah. It comes out of nowhere. It's so, so, so well done. I liked that about it. And so I'm watching it and I'm thinking, this is going to be awesome. Like, this is going to be like one of the great horror films I've ever seen. And by the end of it, I was like, that actually wasn't so good at all. Hmm. Oh, I'm going to have to disagree with you there, Nick. I thought that movie was amazing. Yeah, I remember you really liked it. I don't think, like, once the story really kicked in and it started over-explaining itself and the scares kind of, like, receded a little bit into the background, I just found that I wasn't as into it as I was. But when it was mm -hmm. more mysterious, you know, the, the beginning, the opening passages of this movie were just terrifying. They were weird. They were out there. And, and the scares were really good. The direction was really good. The cinematography I really liked. Uh, the actress who um, oh so good Sosie Bacon who is Kevin Bacon's daughter they're in that commercial together for like Volkswagen or something I never even knew that yeah yeah I, I think I'm um, maybe Kira Cedric I don't know if it was before Kevin Bacon and Kira Cedric were together but she does come from a Hollywood family I know Kevin Bacon is her father and I thought she was really good in it I was like I'd, I'd see more of her she's a good horror uh, lead and and I'd definitely be interested to check out more movies she's in um, but I don't know the movie just kind of left me cold it became came, I call them rules horror movies, where rather than leave things weird and uncanny and unexplained, they start just explaining everything and it's like, this is exactly what the threat is and this is how you deal with it. And the more literal things get, the less I'm interested. I mean, my ideal of a perfect horror movie is The Shining, where you really don't know what the hell is going on in that hotel, right? I mean, there's all kinds of supernatural or psychotic type stuff happening. The guy in the bear suit, a great example of that. No one knows who he was, what he was doing there, um, what that sort of sinister thing was that Wendy glimpses for that moment in that movie. And by the end of it, you know, what you're wrapped up in is the characters and not so much, you know, the explanation of what's going on at the Overlook. Whereas this movie, I think, leaned so hard into that that it forgot to be stylish and scary the way it started out. So, you know, the trajectory of it was from like a 10 to like a 5. And Still not a bad movie, um, something that I might recommend, particularly if you liked that trailer. Such a good trailer. Uh, I wish it could have lived up to that. But I don't know. I thought all the scares were really kind of front-loaded, and then it just became kind of a subpar It Follows, and It Follows is one of my favorite movies from the last few years, and I think that one does a much better job at staying weird and uncanny. And uh, I mean, It Follows starts out better than it ends also, because I think the opening scene in that one is a, a masterpiece for all time as well. But yeah, this one just kind of did do it for me overall. Uh, the director, I thought, did a pretty good job. I mean, clearly he knows how to stage some good jump scares and things like that. He's got an eye for an interesting image. Parker Finn is his name, the writer-director. So I am sure, the movie being the hit that it was, he'll get to make another horror movie at some point, and I will 100% watch it. I just, I don't know, I think maybe it was a little overhyped, too. I mean, I remember you really liking it. I remember a lot of other people that I know who are pretty hardened horror fans and have a good sense of what's good in this genre really liked it as well and I don't know just kind of left me cold by the end of it well I, I had a little different experience only because I saw it in an absolutely packed theater and it was full of you know 
some sort of the younger obnoxious type and I was really worried that I wasn't going to be able to sit through it and when that movie got going man <laughs> everybody just you know watched it and it was fun to kind of follow it and just see how success it was the highest grossing horror movie of 2022 was that the one that finally uh beat out all the others it took out nope I, I believe Jordan Peele's nope was uh there the whole at like 160 million and smile crossed 200 um, so it was fun to see the legs that that movie had, like, and and I believe it, it's also Parker Finn's first film too. I think so it is, yeah. For a, for a debut film, I mean, not too shabby, but uh, I I can see where you're coming from. I just I don't know the experience I had. I mean, with just the in the theater with all the people and the the sound design and the big screen. I mean, it was I was just uh, completely enthralled by it. So, and I'm again, I'm not saying it was like my, the, my favorite movie I saw last year, um, but it was. I, probably for horror in the top 10. And I'm glad you finally saw it because, I mean, last year, as we've talked about so many times, was just an absolute cornucopia of, of horror movies. I mean, there's so much, and, and most of it was great. So I'm hoping that trend continues. We've got some, uh, some really, uh, some movies coming out this year that I am absolutely very excited to see. Yeah, I agree. And as I've said many times on this show and, and elsewhere before, I think horror is the genre that is really experimenting and doing interesting things now. And yeah, I feel bad for people who don't like horror because there's a lot of bland and sort of boring movies out there or just stuff that like it doesn't have like appeal. It doesn't have interest to a large audience. Whereas if you're a horror fan right now, not that everything is amazing, but at least there's some stuff, you know, Skinamarink and Smile and, uh, you know, these movies movies that are I mean you you wouldn't have believed that these were like theatrical movies that that these were going to be hit movies a few years back when when everyone was just kind of watching Marvel movies which still exist uh you know like Quantum Mania Ant-Man 3 is out now and I don't know <laughs> I, I I liked the first Ant-Man I don't uh, think I'm going to go see me. that but I just you know I think it's really great that horror fans at least have a lot to choose from and these interesting filmmakers that are kind of coming out of nowhere and like yeah they they make their debut film like uh Kyle Edward Ball with Skinamarink and now now they're a name like that's somebody that you have to remember so yeah and dude this year we've got like the new there's a new insidious movie coming out there's directed new, by patrick uh, wilson yeah yes there's a new evil dead movie coming out i mean there's a lot to look forward to so um i think right now i still haven't seen megan but i i eventually will i think you kind of convinced me actually to hold out for the director's cut on that but. yeah i'm gonna do that too and i heard i think it's coming out like really soon like within the next few weeks or a month or so i think that's gonna show up oh, on, on demand in the uncut r-rated uh killer doll doing killer doll stuff for real version so i'm hoping that's true <laughs> All right. Well, we've got a couple of films to talk about tonight. I think we've got a lot to say about both of them, so we will be right back. We're going to kick things off with 2001's The Sadness. We'll see you soon. Right, 
We are back to talk about 2021's The Sadness. This is a film, it's the debut film, actually. We're just talking about first-time feature filmmakers. This one was written and directed by a guy named Rob Jabaz, who is a Canadian filmmaker but makes movies over in Taiwan. So this is one of those. It's actually set in the city of Taipei. And, you know, if you didn't know any better, you would have thought this was just a, a, a filmmaker from there, but he's actually a Canadian filmmaker. And as I mentioned early on in the show, this movie was marketed and advertised as the most depraved zombie movie ever made. And you say something like that to me and it's like, I'm interested. I don't know if it's going to be my cup of tea, but I want to see, because I've seen so many zombie movies, right? And I, I really, I like that subgenre of horror and I don't mind, you know, it's, it's most sort of graphic excesses. So I was like, all right, show me what you got, the sadness. And <laughs> it certainly did that. I'll I'll leave it there for now. What, where do we want to start with this one, Chris? I don't know where. Uh, proceed with caution at every level. Uh, I mean, this is by far this movie is is. I'm just gonna come out and say it. it's too much for me, man. Like I, and I love all the brutal shit. Like there's tons of brutal horror movies that I like, and uh, I had seen this before. By the way, this was the second time I I had seen it, and I don't. I guess I had forgotten. Oh man, just, how could you? Well, there were certain scenes that I had forgotten, but or that I remembered. Um, but just watching it this time and kind of like really paying attention to it for the show, I, I mean, there were a lot of scenes that I just really didn't want to watch. So yeah, I mean, this I guess we could start off by just kind of going through the the, the plot, which there's really not much of one. It's it's not all that complicated of a movie, but. Uh, the parallels to you know the, the the pandemic times that that we were in um, are also a very creepy element of this movie. It's kind of like if COVID were a thousand times worse, <laughs> this, <laughs> this is what it would be. And there, I mean, you could tell there's just like direct references to that in the movie uh, because it is about a virus, uh, the Alvin virus. It's an adorable name for a virus, by the way. Yeah, and they get into, like, you know, the way the, the government is trying to handle it, and then you've got the scientists on the other side saying, well, you know, it may not be that serious now, but if it <laughs> mutates and turned into something else, I mean, it's just like, okay, we're really talking about this? Yeah, definitely see uh, parallels to The Last of Us as well, which I thought was kind of interesting. Right, but the thing that's different about this movie is that the virus turns you into, like, an absolutely fucking homicidal insane you know sexual predator basically yeah so uh, i mean let's start with that actually so i mentioned earlier this is not a zombie film in the traditional sense where it, the virus brings the dead back to life and they're right they're around to like eat flesh eat brains whatever we'll talk about eating brains later when we get to return of the living dead three um but this is more it's like a it's a virus that causes yeah like you were saying regular people to be once they're infected they become just sort of murder and sex crazed deviants who live to uh feel pleasure through killing others in really gruesome ways and and committing sexual violence that uh, there is a very clear warning at the beginning like i i like I don't know if I like this, but, you know, Shudder, right? You're a subscriber to Shudder. You know what kind of movies are on Shudder. You're a horror fan. You're paying for this every month. So you understand that horror movies can be pretty brutal. But then Shudder goes that extra step with some movies where it's like they're going to give you like a trigger warning up front and let you know that this movie is more extreme than the average horror film. And there is one of those at the beginning of The Sadness. I've seen it once or twice before on Shudder where they just feel the need to point out that, you know, 
you think you know horror, but this is a little beyond uh, what you might be expecting. And I think this one absolutely lives up to that. Let, let me say this. This movie, I thought it was just kind of a marketing gimmick that it's like, oh, this movie is so, so brutal. And it's like, whatever. I've seen all kinds of things before. I think it lived up to that hype, at least in that respect. I mean, if you are looking for a movie that's just all kinds of fucked up in every possible way, welcome to the sadness. Uh, you will get everything that you are looking for out of this movie. Myself, that's not my thing exactly, although I do, I've talked so many times about Martyrs and Inside on this show. I think those are perfect movies, the both of them, and you know, they are extreme and they're brutal and they're graphic and they're not something that I want to watch every day. But yeah, this one, I think it's even beyond those in some respects. It's not as disturbing as those, but it's it's definitely more brutal and depraved, I would say. So yes, this there's this outbreak of a virus. And what I really liked about this movie, I mean, what plot there is, you're right, there's not much, um, but it's about a young couple, very sort of attractive, nice young couple. And they're kind of having some issues in their relationship at the beginning. This actually does a lot of nice character development in the beginning, but, you know, they're, uh, they're sort of young adults. The guy's name is Jim, and, and the woman's name is Kat, and... They live in an apartment together in Taipei, and so he drives her to work one morning, and, and then she has to, like, jump on the subway to get the rest of the way to work, and he's headed home, and that's when all hell breaks loose. And so this outbreak happens right after he drops her off, essentially, so they're separated kind of on opposite sides of the city. She's on the subway. He's back at his apartment where things are just going nuts there, and the neighbors are all going crazy and attacking him and things like that. And so the whole movie is, like, them trying to re unite them trying to kind of find each other which that's a great setup for a plot right and this almost plays out like the Resident Evil games where you play different characters like at the same time in the story so we get a segment that is about Jim then we get a segment that's about Kat and we kind of keep cutting back and forth between their two stories as they attempt to like make contact with each other and, and reunite at some point later on in the film and you know at the same time as all that stuff is just the most messed up stuff imaginable that they experience and that they see kind of happening right in front of them. And, and really, that's all it is, right? I mean, there's, there's not really much more to talk about here, plot-wise. No, that is definitely all that there is to talk about. And I, um, it, it, for what the movie's going for, it doesn't really need like much of a plot, right? Like, I think it, I think. No, no, I, I, it's very streamlined. It is, it does that B movie thing that I love where it's just like, here is everything you need to know. And like, let's just, it's, it's, it's kind of a, well, it's not exactly a chase movie, but it's kind of a, a quest movie. I mean, we kind of know what they both need. Cat um, a little bit less so. She's she's just trying to get to safety, and he's trying to get to her. But, I mean, they are both just kind of on this path, and we just follow them on that path. And there's not really any twists or any sort of major plot shifts that happen. It's just the world gets crazier and crazier, and the two of them are just trying to find each other in, in all that madness. Sadness. Madness. Like my the thought kept going through my head like how did how do you even rate this movie as far as like a rating like there's no way this is R what says what TVMA here on IMDb like how this is like a, as close to like an X rated like horror movie I mean it is just they show everything 
They do, and they imply things also that are even worse than what they show, which is pretty incredible, because what they show is certainly uh, no slouch at being horrific and disgusting. But then there's some other stuff that's kind of off-camera that's like ten times beyond even that. So, I mean, credit to Rob Jabaz for really shocking the unshockable, because I thought there was almost nothing you could show me in a movie where I'd be like, oh my god. And there were at least three or four moments in this one where I was like, they're not going to go there. Oh, fuck they're going there and I you know some people are going to really love this um, I will point out uh, one of the perfect reviews a 10 out of 10 so I occasionally publish some stuff in the magazine Film Threat and one of my colleagues over there who I've never actually met in person uh, Alex Seviliev gave this a 10 out of 10 rating and, and wrote what I wow. thought was a, a very strong very thoughtful review of it and kind of saw this as like an evolution of this genre and, and a really impressive attempt at this genre so I mean I could see how this movie will have its fans. I, I will tell you flat out, Chris, I'm kind of with you. I mean, I have a rating for it, and I think it's a very fair rating, because I do mm -hmm. think the filmmaking on display here is very strong in a lot of ways, but this is not something that I'm looking to watch again anytime soon. And, and, and I, I'm a horror fan, you know, and so are you. So this is not two, like, non-horror people talking about this movie. That I, I mean, I can't even imagine, if you're not a horror fan and someone shows you this movie, like, <laughs> I think it's like, you know, you'll be like rocking back and forth in a corner for the rest of your life it's that bad there's uh folks nick is not exaggerating at <laughs> I'm all. not at all uh, I'm, under, I'm i'm downplaying it if <laughs> anything. there is a there's a scene um in the train station that just goes on and on and on and i cannot believe how fucking brutal it is there's so much arterial spray in this movie there's lots of arterial spray the the um and you know you get everything from um you know, eyeballs missing and fingers getting cut off and but, but stabbings, and really graphic stabbings. Yeah. And and then on top of that, like the the whole like sexual aggressiveness on top of that. Yeah, I think I think is what really puts this movie like over the edge. Uh, some of the dialogue, you're oh just like, God, did yeah. they really say that? You I know, know. <laughs> I know. I, like, you really have to wonder. Like, someone wrote this. Well, we know who wrote this <laughs> screenplay, and and he's just looking at that. Like, oh yeah, that's gonna be cool. That's gonna be fun. I can't wait to have an actor say that line. Whoa. I mean, you must have really I, like the acting, and this is pretty good too. Like, this is, is a well-made movie. It's well shot. It's very tense, and there are sequences where all of this craziness is happening around our main characters it's a uh, there's the subway scene maybe that's the one you're referring to in the train car where like oh this God. horrific violence just erupts in this very very confined space and it's uh, like honestly if the rest of the movie was more like that and not you know the the depraved stuff that it does later on that's kind of worse than that, I think I might have rated this a lot higher, because that sequence, as horrible uh, to, to look at as it was, was a really, really well-directed sequence, and really tense, and that one really got to me a lot. And I was like, alright, I think I like this movie. And then as it went on, and just tried to up the ante, and it, it keeps doing that. I gotta give it credit for that, too. Just when you think this movie cannot go any farther, it's like, <laughs> check it out, hold my beer. And... <laughs> Yes. There is one oh. moment. I like I'm not gonna describe it. I, I will tell you it it involves a character in a wheelchair in a hospital later in the film. And I'm like, oh okay, fine, if you're gonna imply this, that's really fucked up. You're not actually gonna do it. And then the movie's like, no, we're gonna do it, as I was saying. And I, that was the point where I almost turned it off. I kinda wanted to just check out at that point, and I was like, for the good of, of this show and for <laughs> science, in the interest of science, I will finish this movie. But that was enough to have me be like like, okay, I've had enough, can't do it anymore. Almost. Well, for all the blood and sweat and 
sadism in the movie and and uh you know the there's there are a lot of good scenes in this movie i really like the scene with the president with the grenade yeah um i forgot about that one yeah i I thought that was really cool and (laughs) that scene's got an exploding head and it's like the tamest scene in the movie (laughs) (laughs) like you know you watch scanners for that exploding head moment and it's like that's the most extreme thing in that movie this one it's like i had to explode Oh, well, sucks to be you. Um, I will say one thing this movie does a great Uh, job with, um, particularly uh, I'm talking about the early sequences, the way this movie shows the chaos starting to unfold from just basically a normal day in the city of Taipei. I thought that was really, really well handled. And I really I did think this was going to be a better movie. Again, much like Smile, the opening 10 minutes of this are kind of slow and, and they do some nice character work with this couple that we follow throughout the movie. I mean, this one and Return of the Living Dead 3 are not only zombie-ish movies, but they're also romances, you know? This is about uh, a nice couple trying to reunite, which is always a nice thing to see. Um, but when they first get split up in, in the early sequences of this movie, and we start to see, like, little glimpses of the craziness that's about to happen, and then we see sort of more tangible stuff, and then there's just one moment where Jim is is in a location, he's at a restaurant, and that's when mm. we really see, you know, how messed up things are going to get for the first time, and, you know, we assume that's as bad as it gets, but it certainly is not. But I thought it did a really good job of kind of easing you into that, and that, again, I mean... I I have to credit this filmmaker for just being good at what he does. This movie also has one really, really great, one very memorable villain who uh, they call him the the businessman. Yeah, he's uh, played by a guy named Su Chang Wang. And um, he's on the poster, which I didn't know. Like, he he doesn't look very imposing um, just as a guy. He's a middle-aged, balding man that, you know, there's they're a dime a dozen, I guess, in every part of the world. But, oh, man, he delivers quite the performance in this film well that's that's the thing that kind of was frustrating to me about the movie is that while on the on the violence level it was a bit much for you know my taste but yeah like all the all the elements that make a good movie right like as you mentioned before dude it's shot really great the action scenes are impressive um I think all the performances are solid. I thought the music was good. I mean, yes. I was just, I, w- I was looking for all these things to like try to pile on to just like criticize it and take it down a notch. And it's kind of like one of those things where sometimes if a perfect movie is made, not that I'm saying this is a perfect movie, but if a perfect movie is made, you know, it may not be your cup of tea, but you can't take away anything from it. And, I think that what they set out to accomplish in this film, they accomplished. I mean, there's even a, there's like a random scene where when, when shit first starts going down and someone just like randomly jumps off a building and like they show it, they show the body hit the ground. Most movies, they don't do that. And when I saw that, I was kind of like, wow, that seemed like that's kind of like how that would look like or something. You know what I mean? Like the, the violence was just so, (laughs) it was like, it was, it was, over the top in in some spots with blood flying everywhere and everything, but then in other spots, very real. Uh, someone loses an eye in this movie, and it's really, really fucking hard to watch. And just seeing like the delight that these people get out of torturing everybody, uh, it's yeah. I, we didn't mention that either, right? So these uh, crazed virus infected people, they take like a lot of sadistic glee in 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 you know murder and sexual assault and and just dismemberment and all the things that they do. So 
one of the like there's a very very it happens a lot this sort of creepy recurring image in this film is if somebody like smiling or giggling while they're just doing the most messed up thing to another person mm-hmm. you can imagine and the look of them you know that the eyes there's like kind of a redness around the eye that's why they call it the sadness I think they almost look like they've been crying like their their eyes get puffy and their eyes get all red and that is a, a very disturbing image I mean talking about it now not watching it right like looking back on it yeah I mean it, you're absolutely right like there are some really great elements of this film and a lot of things work really well I will say though I mean I don't think it's a perfect film even if you're okay with all the brutality and depravity of it I think the third act is really really weak I thought the ending was not nearly mm. good enough to sort of justify the rest of the movie and all the sort of interesting character work it does early on it kind of just like throws out the window like the end of the movie it all takes place in one location and there's almost like nowhere else for it to go and nothing else for it to do so it just kind of like you know deflates at the end and you know I would have liked to have seen I don't know how you end this movie like I don't know what you do you can't really up the ante with the depravity much but I do think there was a stronger ending somewhere in there so I don't know I mean it's certainly very well made and there are memorable images and you know there are certain scenes from it that I think I I would watch them by themselves and be like that's really great but the overall uh, experience of it was not a pleasant one for me do do you want to should we rate this yeah, I just have one more question yeah, for you. Like, do you think that this movie was heavy-handed in its politics, or do you think that just by nature, like, everything is made is political to some extent? Because, you know, films throughout history in in some sort of capacity are a result of, like, what's happening in the world. And, you know, that, I think, kind of just made it a little scarier, is that it is, I mean, just the the correlation to what what's happening in this movie and what's happening in reality a couple of years ago. Uh, it just, I don't know. Like I, I was wondering while I watched it, I was like, are they trying to have a political message to this? Or is it just the, the nature of, of the film to be that way? Yeah. I don't know. That's actually a very good question. I mean, I thought that too, particularly in the early scenes in this movie where it, it didn't sort of go to the places that it eventually went. I was like, Oh, this is going to be a, a satire, kind of a commentary on the COVID yeah. pandemic. And yes, it does that for a while, but I think eventually it just gets so crazy and over the top that like you can't really have a point anymore (laughs) like you know how can you possibly say anything about a real world event when you're taking things to this over the top extreme level you know what I mean like by the second half of the movie I forgot all about the sort of little bit of political commentary that was there at the beginning and you know there's a scene or two later on that I think calls back to it but I don't know at that point I was just so grossed out and feeling so uh, dirty with the whole thing that I don't know I I couldn't really look for uh, political subtitles text in it anymore fair answer that's that's very fair um yeah i mean would you like to go first or would you like me to go um i'll go ahead and go first i don't have a lot more to say about it i mean i think we've either sold it or not sold it i'm gonna give this a three i'm gonna give this a stand by me mostly because i think it's very very well made so i i can't give this a bad rating because i didn't like it and because i had an unpleasant experience with it because it's extremely unpleasant and it's trying to be i think it succeeds as you said in in just being the most messed up thing imaginable and i have to give the filmmakers credit for that but um you know i i think the 
script is a little bit weak and the ending is a little bit weak. And I just, I don't want to watch it again. You know, I think it, it really did. You said it was too much. And that was exactly what I thought. You know, I feel like I can handle a lot in a movie. And I was mostly like every time it did something where I was like, oh my God, I didn't want to see that. I could kind of justify it. And then it did this one thing. There was that one scene that I was kind of alluding to before. And I was like, all right, that's it. You, there was a line, there was a final straw and that's it right there. So that was why I, yeah. I couldn't give it a higher rating. Um, I think it sits kind of right in the middle. So as far as an RIYL for this one, I mean, I'd say recommend it if you like George Romero's The Crazies. I know we mentioned the mm. the Of the Dead series, um, but this one actually is pretty heavily indebted to that also, where it's a, a, a sickness that invades people and turns them into like depraved maniacs. Um, so it does have kind of a similar plot to that. But of course, it's like a million times more graphic. Like if you watch George Romero's The Crazies and we're like, this movie's good, but I want to be more nauseous. I want to be way more close to vomiting than this movie's getting me. Then the sadness will will do that for you. So, um, you know, if you need to throw up for some reason and you really like George Romero's The Crazies, then here's the movie for you. Yeah, I was back and forth on this a lot because I didn't want to be a hypocrite. You and I uh, covered a movie sometime around Thanksgiving last year called The Innocence. Hmm. And that movie was so fucked up. It's just like, God, you know, and in a, in a different way, in an entirely different yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But I was like, you know, this isn't my cup of tea, but I'm going to give it a four, the Atkins Campbell, a four out of five, only because of just my respect and appreciation for, like, the 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 quality, the the the, the pedigree of, of the filmmaking itself. This one I am also going to give a three, as you did, um, for the exact same reasons. While I think this movie is, you know, as far as a movie's concerned, there's really not much to, to take away from it as far as, like, the technical aspects of it and all that, but... I can't see myself going around highly recommending this to people. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I, I would. So the standby me is like the, that perfect spot where I can just tell people, look, I'll stand by it. If you know, this is a, this is a, a PWC is maybe something we should create a uh, proceed with caution uh, yeah. because it's just, I, I really don't think that I think there's a lot of people out there that think they've seen fucked up shit before. And then you watch this and you're like, Oh, I haven't. Good movie, though, and I'm glad we watched it. I would say, uh, you know, if if you want to do some more of the Asian apocalypse uh, zombie stuff, like Train to Busan would be one that I would recommend if you, if, if you like, if you like, because that movie's pretty fucking brutal, too. It is, but it's also such a sweet movie and, and has such a well, nice story compared to this. It is. Because I was thinking that one also. I mean, there's definitely, there's a lot of uh, similarities between these yes. two. But, like, I walked out of that movie feeling, like, really good, and I walked out of this one feeling like I, I need to bleach <laughs> my eyes and my brain right now. Well, that that's why, that's why, on the other hand, a recommend if you like, not like a particular film, but... If you're just into really brutal horror, and there's sure. nothing wrong with that, yeah. you know, like if you're into like the French extremity stuff, like I was trying to think of movies that I'd seen comparable to this in terms of brutality, and I'm thinking of Inside, and I'm thinking of Martyrs, and I'm thinking of, you know, High Tension, Frontiers. I mean, if you're into that real brutal shit, you'll love this movie. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree with you on that. Although I do think there's there's things that those movies are doing like story wise and, and just sort of uh, ideology wise that this one kind of doesn't do. I'll tell you, Chris, you and I have a mutual friend named Paul who I cannot wait to recommend this movie to when we see him <laughs> later this year because he's always trying to get me to watch stuff that he knows I'm not going to watch like a Serbian film. And oh, I'm going to be no. like, well, I got one for you. And I think it, this might even be uh, up to, to his limits. So, yeah, I mean, it's uh, I think, you know, uh, funny, right? Like we're, we're both giving it these this real middle of the road kind of rating, but there's nothing middle of the road about it. Like, I think the threes that we're both giving it are just the average of one and five because, you know, yeah. it's both one of the, the greatest things ever made that does the things that it's doing. It's also one of the worst things ever made in terms of, of what it's doing also. So I guess we'll just meet in the middle and, and call that a three. Yeah, and with the scale that we use on the show, our rating system, I think that's that's the most appropriate. Because again, I just can't see myself being like, dude, you've got to see. And it's definitely, you know, not a classic, And it, whether or not it's your cup of tea. I also do agree with you, though, the movie does kind of uh, come to a, a halt in, in the third act. And that, you know, maybe if it had maintained some of its momentum. But again, like you said, where else was it to even go? It's like... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> really kind of painted itself into a corner with blood and entrails by the time it got to the end. So, yeah. All right. Well, we're going to move on to other things because I don't really want to think about the sadness anymore. So if you're good, Chris, I think so. We'll we'll be right back to talk about Return of the Living Dead 3. This will be much more fun, I think. I think so, too. <laughs> oh, God, Kurt, that was incredible. Let's do it again. Contain it, damn it! Seal it off now! Is that what I'm gonna become? These poor dead bastards crave brains. She bit me, did She gave me something bad. I feel so hungry. Now we'll find you down here. What have you done? If she attacks him, he becomes like her. I just get a little confused sometimes. No! All right, we are back to talk about 1993's Return of the Living Dead 3, which is, of course, the third movie in the Return of the Living Dead franchise, started by Dan O'Bannon. This one is directed by Brian Yuzna, who is a director that I've seen his name all over the place. I mean, he's pretty highly regarded in horror circles, and I don't think I've ever seen a movie that he's directed before. I've seen some movies that he's produced, so he is very well known for his association with the great Stuart Gordon on films like Reanimator. So he started out as a producer, which is kind of interesting. It's usually the other way around, producing Stuart Gordon's movies, a lot of which were horror movies, and then started directing films of his own. And I, I'll be honest with you, Chris, I mean, he's got some pretty popular ones on his filmography. And as far as his directorial stuff, so I'm just looking at it here, he's directed uh, Society, Bride of Reanimator, Silent Night, Deadly Night 4, uh, Necronomicon. He did a little bit of that one. I mean, these are all movies that I think I would be very interested in. I just haven't seen them, but I've seen a lot of things that he produced and wrote. So uh, interestingly enough, like this guy's known for pretty extreme graphic horror movies, producing them and directing them, um, but like Reanimator from Beyond. Um, but also he and Stuart Gordon were co-writers on Disney's Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, which I <laughs> never knew. And it was as a very big outlier in his filmography. So I thought that 
that was kind of interesting. Um, but again, Chris, we should probably just talk about, so this is a, the return of the living dead franchise. The first film directed by Dan O'Bannon is it's a comedy horror film. It's kind of a parody of the zombie genre. It's like an unofficial sequel to the Romero movies, uh, to night of the living dead specifically because Mm -hmm. that movie's public domain. So anybody can just kind of do whatever they want with it. And that is, it's just such a fun movie. It's this punk rock zombie movie where the zombies actually have personality. They're not just dead people eating brains, but they're dead people eating brains who can talk about it. (laughs) And I really like that about them. Um, The zombies have like this kind of quirky, uh, like I said, personality, this almost humanity about them. And, you know, there's some great scares and some great gore in that movie, but also it's a lot of fun and really funny. And Chris, like you've seen that one, I know. Have you ever seen Return of the Living Dead 2? Because I have not. I've heard it's nowhere nor, near as good. Nor have I. Okay. I have not. And I and I was I was uh, I was surprised to discover that I guess there's actually five of these fucking things. Yeah, I remember that because the the last two were more recent. They were like post two thousand, like two thousand six or something like that. And I think another company bought the rights. And I don't think they have a lot to do with the first three. But um, you know, this was kind of an informal trilogy for a while. And this was one that I hadn't seen. I remember being in a video store when I was a kid. They made a big deal out of the, uh, the home video release for this one. I think it went theatrical, like in a small theatrical release, but mostly was considered like a, a direct-to-video film. And, you know, it has elements of the first two movies. I mean, I haven't seen the second, but I know what it's about. Uh, but it, it takes kind of a different tone, I would say, than Return of the Living Dead. It's not quite as outwardly comedic. And really, the, the thing that returns here is the trioxin gas, trioxin 245, I think it's called, which yeah. is a, uh, a chemical that the military has acquired that has this effect of bringing the dead back to life with a, uh, a, a thirst for brains that is very difficult to deal with. Yes. Uh, and I'm, I'm wondering, watching it, how if you even really need to see the second one to appreciate this. I mean, as a completist, I kind of want to. Yeah, I I do too, but I don't think you need to see either of the first two to appreciate this one um, because that's really the callback, right? Like, tonally, it's different. We don't really get, like, a lot of the same characters or anything. It's kind of a new story, and it's a very, very self-contained story. So, you know, if you're not familiar with this franchise, I mean, I think definitely check out that first movie, but if you've avoided this one for so long because you don't want to jump in with the third installment, you actually can here. I mean, it's not quite like Halloween 3 outlier territory. I mean, it's not like a completely different type of movie the way that one is, but it is, I mean, it's it's a different enough type of movie where I would say probably you could just watch this one if you wanted to. Yeah. Um, I will say I really like the, the opening sequence in this as Un- un- unbelievable as it is with them getting into this government facility with oh, the Chris, st- this st- <laughs> stolen security key card. <laughs> the worst security I've ever seen in any military facility in a movie. So uh, our main character in this movie is, um, he's a guy named Kurt. And his dad is a colonel in the military who is experimenting with this trioxin gas on dead bodies. And I I guess the plan is to bring dead bodies back to life and let them wreak havoc on the battlefield. This is like a covert military project, like top secret kind of black ops shit. But (laughs) 
he breaks into this military base by uh, he gets through the guard booth by just basically waving to the guy like, hey, my dad works here. And the guard's like, oh, hey, Kurt, what's up? And he brings his girlfriend, um, who is a very important character here, Julie, played mm-hmm. by Melinda Clark. He's played by J. Trevor Edmond. And yeah, that's that's the opening sequence of this movie, basically, is his dad is doing this experiment. Um, there's some some overseers from the government there to watch him resurrect a dead body and, and like control it. And Kurt just kind of like walks into he he rides his motorcycle with his girlfriend on the back into the building. Um, it's set up a little earlier that his dad is missing his key card, which uh, this is a top secret facility, right? And the dad is just like, oh, hey, can I borrow your key card? And like another guy, like an underling there is like, oh, yeah, just use mine. And so um, very, very lax security. And then Kurt and Julie just kind of like find a, like a, a duct they can crawl into and they get to witness this whole thing play out in front of them. And I, I yeah, that was one of the first notes I made was they should really work on their security at this top secret military facility. They do. <laughs> I think it's because the movie is, is it's a pretty small budget, $2 million for 1993, which isn't nothing, but it's it's a fairly small budget movie. And I think the base looks really good, but they do make a point like, oh, this is a temporary facility, which means, you know, they didn't have the money for like a really technologically advanced looking military base. I think it looks good, but it also kind of looks like a B-movie set. And they, they sort of explain that away, which I thought was fun. You left out the fact that the security card doesn't work on the first few attempts, and then Julie licks the card. Oh, yeah. That what makes that? it work. <laughs> Next time my credit card doesn't swipe, I'm going to do that like very conspicuously yeah. in front of a, a store clerk. Yeah. And, I mean, obviously witnessing this is insane. They're like up in like the ceiling rafters watching this go on. People are killed. I guess the, the, the deal is that they they shoot it with this... Oh, I don't even know what it is. It's like a a paralyzing agent that you have to like shoot it right in the head and it like freezes it or paralyzes it or something like that. Right. And 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 it is, again, it's one of those zombies like in Return of the Living Dead where it it can talk and kind of seems to have like some advanced brain function, like not like a a Romero zombie where it's just a shambling sort of uh, walking dead. But it's, you know, it's just a it's a corpse, but it also has a little bit of uh, intelligence about it. I mean, they're not yeah, smart, yeah. but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, this 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 chemical is supposed to like shut down their brains, and and this particular one just wakes up and starts re- wreaking havoc on uh, the scientists in there and killing at least a couple people, I think. Wreaking beautifully choreographed havoc. Yeah, I mean, the, the it's uh, good. This movie is well. We'll get to it, but I think this is a very very well directed movie. Yeah, it's uh, that uh, like right from the get go, very very entertaining scene to kick this thing off. And of course, you know, there as always happens in these movies, the plan doesn't work. The paralyzing agent fails, and it it goes nuts and starts just eating everyone in sight. And there's a problem with the gas escaping and they have to sort of contain the facility and all that stuff. And uh, yeah, it starts with a bang, I would say. Yeah. And what ends up happening just to push the story forward a little bit is, um, well, we should talk a little bit about, I think Kurt and Julie's relationship. I mean, she is like this total badass chick and you know, he, Basically, I mean, she's the one that wants to break into this place in the in the first place is the impression that I got. And yeah, after they witness this, they go back to 
Kurt's house and his father gives him the news that they have to move. And, you know, th- that's <laughs> because when we of what that... happened with the zombie. <laughs> yeah, he's <laughs> like, been like reassigned immediately. And this is like, yeah, like later yeah. that night he gets reassigned. And obviously the father doesn't know that they just witnessed everything. And that's when we learn that, you know, because of his father's job, Kurtz had to move around a whole bunch of times. His mother is no longer in the picture. Yeah, he's a military brat. The mom is is deceased, and he lives with his dad, and they don't really get along. His dad's kind of, you know, your typical, like, military brass kind of guy. And yeah, it's, it's um, I think it's a very sympathetic relationship. I mean, they're both kind of, like, rebels, outsiders kind of thing. Him because of, you know, like, he's, he's a military brat. And she's just, yeah, she's a badass, you know? She's adventurous. She's kind of up for anything sexy um you know very sort of like fun kind of character and it is it's a it's a sincere romance right like they're not you know just sort of messing around using each other kind of thing but i think there is kind of a a very deep connection between them and you know i don't think either j trevor edmund or melinda clark is a great actor but they're both really good in this um you know i kind of believe them this sort of you know i don't want to call it a puppy dog romance because they are a little bit grittier and sexier than that but it it is kind of that in some sense as well and i thought very sympathetic and nice to see. I mean, I thought that about the characters in the sadness too. And <laughs> unfortunately, you know, where that movie goes, you can't really uh, appreciate the romance of it. But this one, I mean, I would characterize this. It's not so much a horror comedy as it is a horror romance. Kurt hangs on longer than any dude would. That's for sure. He does some uh, things. He does I, some things <laughs> for love. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what this movie is about, right? How far would you go for love? And uh, and how much can the person you love change and still be that person that you love? Yeah. So they, they're immediately like, you know, the, the against his father's wishes, Kurt's like, I'm not going with you. And Julie and I are just going to run away and live on our own. We're going to go to Seattle or something like that. Or am I thinking oh, of a different? No, movie? they're going to Seattle because it's 1993, dude. And they want to hang out with the grunge scene. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and there's a, there's, a, there's a motorcycle accident that occurs. And from there, it's pretty obvious where, where the film is, is going to go. Um, I don't really know would it be spoiler territory to say what happens to Julie, right? Because I mean, it's like the... oh, I, I think we got to do it. Yeah, it, it's um, yeah. So you know, she's on the cover of the uh, the box yeah. and the poster and things like that. Yeah, she's killed, and of course he feels really guilty about it. Um, it's actually kind of her fault. Like I don't know, she she kind of preempts what ends up happening to them this motorcycle crash but he feels really bad about it so he brings her body back to this military facility and sneaks right back in again you know they might as well just leave the door open for him (laughs) um, you know he releases the trioxin gas and it brings her back to life and at first she seems pretty normal but you know of course it it creates this sort of mass chaos where now this is out in the world and it's creating other zombies if you want to call them that and so what this becomes is kind of one of those lovers on the Lamb movies where they now have to sort of escape this facility and, and you know, get back on the road. And now the military is pursuing them. And of course, uh, Kurt's dad being kind of the leader of that effort. So it's almost it's like the fugitive kind of thing. It's one of those type chase movies where they're just trying to avoid the authorities and they get in a bunch of adventures along the way. And Julie, throughout all of this, she's becoming more and more sort of sucked into this 
illness. I don't know what exactly you call it. Um, she's dead and she is developing this hunger for flesh and brains and, and she needs that to survive. So it's one of those kinds of stories as well, where kind of like Near Dark uh, that we just talked about, where, you know, she has this like crippling addiction and this person who loves her is trying to, to help her with that. Or, you know, he's he's kind of an a willing participant. Of course, he doesn't want her to kill anyone, but she kind of has to do that to survive. And then there's also this this weird sort of BDSM thing where she she inflicts pain on herself. She cuts herself and stabs herself and and sticks objects into her skin because she says the pain helps her deal with the the hunger for uh, flesh and brains and and whatever else you would want as a trioxin zombie. Mostly yeah. brains, right? They're all about the brains, as as that character in the first movie memorably told us. Yeah, and then there's this whole other side story that's happening at the same time that is kind of birthed out of, like, you know, they go to this convenience store to try to get her some food. And, uh, I mean, this is, this is, like, where we meet Santos and his crew. And there's this completely senseless homicide that takes place. And they end up kind of beefing with with uh, Santos and his posse, and they're just like chasing them around at the same time. So it's like they're being chased by the police, they're being chased by these people, and the military. Really, yeah, it's, yeah, uh, and they didn't really like do anything per se. That gang, Santos and his crew, are so funny because they're they're yeah. this like Latino gang. There's four of them, four or five of them, and they look so old. <laughs> like I yeah. feel like in the script they were supposed to be like teenagers or like young adults, and Santos himself, he just looks like he's like 55, 60. <laughs> but it was a funny choice, and I kind of liked it. I feel like I've seen that guy, uh, Mike Maroff, in yeah, I think so I have many movies. Too. He's good. I mean, I, there's a, lo- a lot of fun performances in this. I I don't know how much farther we're Oh, we have to talk about one more character, and then I think we can get into kind of uh, how we feel about this movie. So along the way, uh, as Kurt and Julie are running from the authorities and running from Santos and his small and kind of not that imposing looking gang, they run across a, a homeless person who lives in a tunnel under a bridge, and he is called the River Man because they meet him in a river uh, that, that that is connected to this tunnel. And I love this character so much, uh, played by an actor <laughs> named Basil Wallace. And he's just—I mean, it's it's interesting at first, but we don't—and I, and I won't spoil too much about it. But uh, the River Man is a character who, you know, says he's going to help them, and and he's kind of inscrutable at first. He might just be a crazy person, um, but you know, he seems to be an ally of theirs or wants to be an ally of theirs and kind of helps them through some things, but also we don't know exactly what to think of him. And he is certainly not the, the sanest. Uh, he's a little bit unhinged, but also becomes kind of the most interesting character in the movie as it goes on. And I can't say enough about uh, this character, this performance. And unlike the sadness, I think this movie has a third act that is just phenomenal. And he does figure very heavily into that. So uh, props to the river man. Uh, I think he was just a really fun, addition to this and kind of elevates this uh, even farther i I'll, I'll just flat out say it i really really like this movie we'll, <laughs> we'll get into my overall feelings about it but this was a nice breath of fresh air after the sadness because you know as much it is, as it is a, a horror movie it's brutal it's gory it's graphic um i thought it was a much more fun type of horror movie than the sadness was and i thought you know it's a silly movie but i think that's also part of its charm so i am uh, let me just get on record i'm a big big fan of this one and i'm sorry i waited so long to see it but what else what else do we need to talk about before we really uh, break this one down 
I have to mention that I was really feeling the sadness because I did the opposite of you and I watched this one first <laughs> and then watched the sadness and it like totally brought me down. Um, no, look, like this is campy as shit. It's like the dude, I thought the effects in this were excellent. Great. Yeah, all practical effects. And yeah, you're right. In that third act, man, it, it gets pretty suspenseful. Like there is a there's kind of a, you know, after Julie makes her transformation and they're just like in this you know, enclosed fucking sewer or whatever. And she's just like tearing them up and you've got the military coming in and everything. And it actually, it's, it's cool because the movie keeps going. Like I thought it was going to end, but then we even get to go back to the lab and everything. And there's a whole nother really cool action sequence. And That's like, what I'm talking about. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I would call that the third act break and, and the stuff that happens when they go back there. I mean, I hope it's not a spoiler that they go back there, but you know, I mean, this is a return of the living dead movie. So, you know, there's going to be more zombies at some point and, oh man, I mean, all hell breaks loose at the end of this in such an entertaining way. There's an element that's introduced way, way, way late in the game. And in most movies, I'd be like, oh, come on. But it's set up earlier on. Um, there's another character, another military character who's doing some work at that facility and kind of wants to take over this project. And I, she figures into it. I won't say exactly what it is, but uh, it, it becomes just uh, one of the greatest uh, B-movie things I think I've ever seen at the end of this. Wasn't it Nicotero's company that did the uh, special effects on this? You know, I, I I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was because they're great, you know, in that uh, that very Greg Nicotero kind of style. Yeah. And also, I'm, I'm digging the fact that, you know, there's not like the movie never try it because you mentioned one thing that's important that I had kind of, kind of forgotten about with Dan O'Bannon's original, which does have a lot more comedy in it, even though they scale back the comedy in this movie. There's still just enough of it, and the movie never takes itself seriously. You know, like no, it knows no, no, no. exactly w what it is, and I think that's part of what makes it great. Because if they were trying to make this like deep cut, then it would have a whole different vibe to it. But uh, yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, I think tonally, this movie, I, I really, I think it strikes a perfect balance. I think it's a perfect tone. I, I, I'm using the p word. Yes, I am. It's campy. It's certainly campy, as you've said, but it's not jokey. It's not like kind of winking at you the whole time. Like, you know, it's not taking itself seriously, but it's playing things in a sort of serious way. And I think the romance aspect of it, this kind of thing that drives the plot, it's played with enough sincerity that actually this movie makes an, uh, kind of an impact, like emotionally. And by the end of it, I was really, um, you know, I'm not going to say I cried at the end of Return of the Living Dead 3, but there are moments here that <laughs> really kind of got to me emotionally and and that's a pretty impressive thing to do for uh you know this is a b movie i mean this is just a straight up b movie it it's not that hollywood sort of glossy glitzy thing i mean it, it's made for a very specific audience and i think it knows that audience exceptionally well and it really just delivers for them i i, I can't say enough nice things about this one to be honest with you wow well that being said, should we rate this sucker? Sure. Okay. I guess I'll go first. Yeah, you go first. Because you went time. first last time. So so I'm gonna give this the old Atkins Campbell Award. Um this movie is solid as hell. I would recommend it to anybody. I mean, not as especially it doesn't even matter, like we said before, if you're into the Night of the Living Dead or Dawn of the Dead or Return of the Living Dead. I mean, that, that I I think any of those would be a good R I Y L for this. Like if you haven't seen this movie but you've seen those and you're into it you're gonna love this movie 
there were some things. I think what what prevents me from putting it on the you know Exorcist pedestal are some of the things in in the plot. Like I mean, we started off talking about the security card and stuff like that, and, <laughs> See, and well, I, love I can that excuse stuff. it. It is, and I and I do too. But it does. I, it's it's kind of um, you know the cheese factor of that is is pretty high here and when I'm giving like when I look at the other films that we've dished out Exorcist Awards to thus far they tend to just have a little bit more I don't know seriousness to them I guess a more solid plot sure yeah but that being said it's still an Atkins Campbell I mean there's really nothing about this movie that I don't like Um, I would watch it again and in fact it was so good that it make made me want to go back and watch the first two. I don't know if I would go if I would go back to watching uh if I would continue in the franchise with four and five. But I definitely want to go back and watch the first two again. Hell, maybe even have just a Return of the Living Dead trilogy day. How cool would that be? Um, because I've only seen the first and third and both are very good. And then yeah, I'm gonna go I know my my pick is gonna be uh Sort of generic here, but uh, I'm going to go with Dawn of the Dead. Okay. Um, You know, I think Dawn of the Dead is one of the best zombie movies ever made. I mean, I, I, it, it, watching this also made me want to go back and watch that. You know, you mentioned uh, the crazies before, and I have a confession to make. I've never seen George Romero's The Crazies. I've only seen the new one. Oh, uh, which was good. Yeah. The one with Timothy Oliphant, your uh, your cousin. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're related, man. Cousin we Tim. hang out. In, yep. yep. You spell Tim. it differently, but you're still related. Listen, if it weren't for me, he would have never got the gig in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That was all me. <laughs> he was great um, in that. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, I mean, all around, you, you really can't go wrong. Like, if you're into into zombie horror shit, like, this is a slam dunk. Yeah, I, actually, Day of the Dead as well, because that one takes place mostly in a military facility. So sure. um, it, it's got some similarities with that one also. I know that one, people don't love that one the way they love the first two, but I, I think it's, you know, it's kind of the return of the, uh, sorry, it's kind of the return of the Jedi of that trilogy. I was going to call it the return <laughs> of the living dead of that trilogy, which, you know, would really confuse things. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it definitely has some, it, it owes a little bit of a debt to Romero, but I, I think it has a little bit more fun with this um, than, than Yeah, but dude, even if you're into real campy stuff, like, I'll go ahead and throw it out there. Evil, like, my one of my favorite movies of all times, Evil Dead Two. Yeah, you know that would be another good recommend. If you like Evil Dead Two, you will definitely like Return of the Living Dead Three. Fair enough. Well, Chris, I am going to do a thing I rarely do. I'm giving this one The Exorcist. This is a five yes. out of five for me. I loved this movie. I mean, just flat out, I had such a good time with it. I think it is, it, like, this is a movie that knows, as I was saying, exactly what it is, exactly who its audience is, and exactly how to entertain people like that. And I am, like, very much the target audience for this. It is just a, a really, really well-directed, really creative, really fun B-movie that knows it's trash and doesn't care that it's trash it's still going to deliver for you you know every step of the way the pacing is phenomenal i mean it, yep. it moves like a bat out of hell this movie never just goes and goes and goes never boring at all i think the character work is good i like the cast i really um you know i looked up almost everyone in this movie i mean i'd seen some of them before j trevor edmund like doesn't act anymore i think he's still alive but kind of quit the business but uh, i have seen melinda clark in things and basil wallace like i believe they are both still working doing a lot of tv and stuff like 
like that. I mean, no one became a big star because of this, and this was not a hit movie as heavily as I remember them promoting it back in 1993, but this movie is just a good time in so, so, so many ways. I mean, it, it is, it's kind of the perfect B-movie. I mean, it is, if you want to be entertained by horror, if you don't want to be disturbed by horror, but you're just going to a horror film to, to be entertained and to get those kind of rah-rah movie feels out of it, this one does that, and, and for me, it just, I don't know what it was. It just really, really connected all the way through. I thought the ending was perfect. The third act is amazing. Um, you know, the chaos and mayhem and the stuff that happens in the last, it's like 10 minutes of this movie. It's a very compressed third act, and I'm sure that was for budgetary reasons. But boy, does Brian Yuzna pack a lot of stuff into that. And I, I, I couldn't just, believe it. It's I so good. I, yeah, yeah, and it really, it ups the ante. I mean, when you think it, it can't really do any more, it finds like creative ways to just do cool stuff uh, toward the end of this. And it definitely delivers on the gore and the action and the mayhem. It's it's a chase movie, as I said. So unlike, um, you know, most zombie movies, right? Even Return of the Living Dead, that's mostly set in a cemetery. Dawn of the Dead's mostly set in a mall. Night of the Living Dead's mostly set in a house, etc. Um, this is kind of a zombie movie on the road and on the move. And I really liked that about it. And yeah, I mean, this director is just, he's really, really great at staging just fun scenes of zombie battling mayhem and fun, colorful characters like Santos and certainly the Riverman. Uh, there's just, there's so much to like in this. It's so entertaining. It so cares that you're having a good time with it. And it's certainly very cheesy and very campy, but I, I really enjoyed all of those aspects of it. I thought it was just, you know, as, as fun a movie as you can possibly get out of this genre. Not going to be for everyone. And, and you know, I think if you go into it expecting it to be like the first film, which was more kind of comedic, winking at the audience, you know, send more paramedics is my line that I love from that one so much. Um, it's not quite that. I mean, it doesn't take itself too seriously, but it takes itself seriously enough. And, and the makeup effects, um, the final form of Julie that we see late in this movie is awesome looking. Um, we kind of get her on the cover, but it's cooler actually in movement. And I don't know, it's, it's got a great look to it. You know, the lighting and stuff is, is great. It's clearly done on a budget, but just with a lot of flair and a lot of creativity. So I, I have nothing I can say that's, that's bad about it. I really, this is maybe the most enjoyable film I've watched since we started doing the show. Uh, it's the most enjoyable film for me that we've reviewed on this show. I cannot wait to see it again, and I highly, highly recommend it. I'm so glad I finally saw it. My R.I.Y.L. is another perfect horror B-movie. Uh, I'm going to say I recommend Return of the Living Dead 3 if you like Night of the Creeps, which I know you're a fan of, Chris. Oh my god. That is one of my all-time favorite movies. I think tonally, I mean, it's been a while since I've seen that, but aren't they very similar in tone? Oh, yes, indeed. And that, dude, that movie is the most underrated horror film of all time. I really, really, really hope we get to talk about it someday. If Shudder ever puts that out, we are we are covering that. Have you seen it? Oh, yeah, you must have seen it because you just R.I.Y.L.ed it. <laughs> I sure have, Chris. <laughs> I'm just yeah, going I'm off just, gut. <laughs> yeah, I'm not just making that up. Yeah, right. I've heard it's good. You said it was good. No, oh, I, I really, it. I like that movie as well. I think this one's actually better than that. So I, Ooh, my nah. opinion on this one might be like a, a real outlier. Um, this has like 55 on Rotten Tomatoes like I thought this was a beloved movie and it actually isn't but I mean I I fell in love with it Valentine's Day week this this doomed romance between these two characters I don't know something about this really got to me I just I really enjoyed the hell out of it you know it's funny two things one is you mentioned Brian Yunza before and I have seen not only his name everywhere but he's like 
I'm pretty sure he's all over those In Search of Darkness docs that I've been watching, too. Oh, probably. He seems like a, kind of a scholar in the field and a, a guy who likes to talk about this stuff. I'm just, yeah, I'm just noticing now that uh, I have seen one of his films. I watched the movie Society a couple years ago, which, talk about a fucked up movie. Yeah, everybody is always telling me how good that one is, and I've just I've never gotten around to it. It's great, but gross. But uh, that is, I can at least say I have seen that movie. And then it was funny you mentioned that um, he was involved with uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. <laughs> that was shocking because, to me. Because, you know, one thing that we, we talk about on the show, but I don't think we talk about enough is just one thing I love about horror so much is its union with comedy. That is so important, right? Because it's like when you watch a horror movie, you're, you're kind of able to deal with your fears without actually like hurting yourself. You know what I mean? And the fact that comedy and horror intertwine so nicely when done right is just something I really appreciate about it. And it made me think of another film that we both gave fives to, which is black Christmas. Sure. And just how crazy it is. Like the fucking same guy that directed you know, Bob Clark, who directed uh, black Christmas went on to, to do a Christmas story in 1983, yeah. which isn't a comedy, but my God, it is the exact polar opposite. Um, so I like diversity like that within the horror community and um, you know, the stuff that branches out from the creators of it. Nick, you now have, so this is only the second one. So Black Christmas and Return of the Living Dead 3 yep. are the Those two are my that you've top got. tier, yes. Out of out of 30 films. Wow, uh, that's you a have lot. Only, you have only dished out two fives. So that's good. I'm glad we're, um, you know, being, you know, not picky, but definitely very selective about what we give the coveted Exorcist Award to. Oh, I think we are. I think we're being pretty discerning. I mean, you've given out three, four I know, uh, uh, three. Black Sunday. Bla- and Black Sunday. We both agreed on, on Black, Black Christmas. Christmas. And then I dished one out for Near Dark. So, I, and, I, and I have no regret on that. Yes. <laughs> Let me say one thing about that, too. So, I, I gave Near Dark a four. And I know that movie is a cult classic. I know people love that movie. And for the most part, I loved that movie, too. Um, that movie has one plot thing that just really kind of ruined it for me uh toward the end and you know i like the problem the difference right i mean because that was pretty close to a five for me also like return of the living dead three has a ton of plot holes it's like riddled with them uh you know there's there are so many things in this movie that just kind of don't make sense but here they didn't pull me out of the story because they didn't really affect the story whereas in near dark the thing that the plot does in that movie that i hated so much it kind of like ruined and negated the story to some extent for me so mm-hmm. um that's the difference so in case anyone's wondering why i i dared to give this one a five <laughs> and not that one which is probably a better movie by most standards and i i completely understand that but yeah it's uh i i really just had such a great time with this that i was able to overlook those things because i don't think they really affected my enjoyment of it i love it that's our i, <laughs> I mean it's our zombie episode i'm sure there will be more and there will be more traditional zombies, right? Like this is, uh, you know, as we were saying, they're not, they, they have sort of intelligence that zombies don't have. This is not set in an isolated location. It's a chase movie. So it's, it's kind of like a zombie movie, but it kind of isn't. But I'm glad we found an excuse to talk about it, I guess, is, uh, is my final point there. Yeah. And also your point with Near Dark and Return of the Living Dead 3 is, is I understand it 1000% because like you said, you know, Near Dark is pretty... Take the tone of it is taking itself 
very seriously, whereas this movie's just that's what it is. You I don't know, know about it's, it's, very it's a... seriously, but more seriously than this for sure. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. <laughs> I don't think Bill Paxton took anything on that shoot seriously, and the movie uh, got better because of that. Man, I, I, I have thought about that movie a lot since I watched it, though. So there's that. Yep, for sure. This one's kind of banging around inside my brain also, which is good because it can help me forget parts of the sadness that I'm trying to (laughs) unremember. But uh, we would be, as always, very, very interested in your thoughts on either of these films or anything that's going on on Shudder, Skinamarink, or whatever. If you want to continue this Skinamarink discussion, <laughs> go ahead and reach out to us. I- I'm still happy to talk about it. Chris probably had enough at this point, but, um, mm. you know, plenty of, uh, of fun stuff to come this year, and we're looking forward to it. Definitely a little bit of a bump in our listener count last episode, so awesome. Uh, if you're just joining us, welcome to the show. We got plenty more to do here. All right, so if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can reach us via email at shutteringpod at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at shutteringpod, facebook.com slash shutteringpod, and our website where you can download all our episodes, find subscription links for the show, is shutteringpod.simplecast.com. We would, as always, really appreciate a rating and a review wherever you get your podcast from. That will help us get this out to more listeners, and we really want to do that because we've got a lot to talk about in the year to come. But uh, this was a fun way. These are... <laughs> this is our Valentine's Day episode, I guess. I mean, it's belated. That was last week uh, as as we're recording now. But um, these movies both sort of qualify as Valentine's Day movies, just not date movies. Please don't show the <laughs> sadness to someone you love. Yeah. yeah. Unless they're just really into Unless they don't have a soul, then... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've never dated anybody that didn't have a soul, but uh, it could be an interesting yeah. thing. All right, we will catch up with you in a couple weeks on The Shuddering. 